Welcome to the weekly message from Albert Park Baptist Church, a community of believers seeking to love God, love one another and love our neighbourhood right in the heart of Melbourne. We hope you find today's message inspiring. It's past your bedtime. Okay. This is hopeless. Oh. Well, old timer, I guess this is the end of the road. I know I haven't always been a good kid, but if I have to go to school tomorrow, I'll fail the test and be held back. I just need one more day to study, Lord. I need your help. Prayer. The last refuge of a scoundrel. A teacher strike, a power failure, a blizzard, anything that'll cancel school tomorrow. I know it's asking a lot, but if anyone can do it, you can. Thanking you in advance. Your pal, Bart Simpson. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for you and your son and all that we celebrate in a few weeks' time. But as we prepare for that, as we're heading to the cross, I just pray that you give us time to reflect now on what that looks like for you and for your son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was studying my commerce degree, so I, I wasn't just a pastor at 18 and I didn't do anything. Uh, I, I did commerce first. And so uh, when I was studying for a commerce degree, uh, one of the subjects you have to do, it's, it's compulsory, is marketing management. Now, I don't really like marketing very much. Um, and that was evident because I stepped into an exam without having opened the textbook. And so like Bart Simpson up here, Uh, I walked into the exam room, I sat down, and I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, but you feel like the exam paper is judging you before you even sit down, you know? Like it's face down on the table and you just feel like your entire life's identity is is based on these A4 sheets of paper. And so I sat down, I put all my stuff down that you have to, and I just prayed pretty much what Bart Simpson prayed, that there would be some way uh, that God would be gracious to me in this moment. He wasn't thankfully, and so I had to reset uh, the test. But um, honestly, in life, we often pray like Bart Simpson, if, if we're honest. Like a bad circumstance happens, life gets messy, and so we just pray for the pain to go away. And i sorry to get all serious after Bart Simpson, but I think it's important to think about. Um, this passage I'm going to read, uh, it comes after the Last Supper, which is where Jesus and his disciples have dinner together for the last time before he's arrested and then crucified, etc. And so Jesus goes out to pray. And so let me just read it. They'll put it up behind me and then we'll, we'll hear what it has to say. It says this, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. And on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, and he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? Jesus asked his disciples. Get up and pray 
so that you will not fall into temptation. Now, there's absolutely stacks in these uh, kind of seven verses, so I'm not going to go into all of that. We could be here for hours. Uh, But I want to make a few notes here. Firstly, that first phrase in there, that Jesus went out as usual, as usual. Now, if you've read any part of the Gospels, you would know that this is a pattern of Jesus' life, that Jesus doesn't go just kind of randomly praise when bad things happen, but that Jesus makes a consistent habit of getting away from life and going and praying. And you see this if you read uh, the end of chapter 21, it says this, every day Jesus was teaching at the temple, so during the day's teaching, and every evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives, same hill that we're talking about here. So every day he was teaching, every night he went out to this mountain, every day he was teaching, night he went out to this mountain. It's a consistent habit. But it's more than that. If you start reading through Luke's Gospel, for example, at the start of Luke's Gospel, we read this in 4 verse 42. It says this, At daybreak, and I don't know if daybreaks, if we're even awake at daybreak, but he was, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place, We continue, 5 verse 16, it says this, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. 6 verse 12, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. 9 verse 10, it's almost every chapter. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done, and then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves. 9 verse 18, it says this, once when Jesus was praying in private, 21 verse 37, which we read before, was where during the day he'd teach, and then in the evening he'd go out to this mountain and pray. Uh, he would be consistently withdrawing and praying throughout his life. That it's really a, a habit of his. And that's what that word, as usual, means. It literally can be translated as was his custom. And all I want to say about this is that up front, Jesus' trial, he's not kind of getting into this thing where he's about to get arrested and crucified, which he knows about, without any prior preparation. That he's entering this season of difficulty for him, already prepared, already in a relationship with God, already trusting in God, which is why we're about to see in his prayer a sense of trust in the midst of immense pain. This pattern of withdrawal and, prepare, and, and prayer prepared Jesus for the coming pain. It prepared him for the season of difficulty. And there's a, there's a few quotes I want to share. Firstly, this, there is a repeated pattern in Jesus' ministry of disengagement and then return to society. And another guy says this, a repeated regular experience that could be integrated into the life of any Christian. So this is something that we can, we can use as an example, continuing to go for prayer. So why would we bother doing that? Well, Jesus gives us the answer in verse 40. It says this, on reaching the place, so they're at this mountain of olives now, and it says, on reaching the place, he says this to them, pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Pray so that you will not fall into temptation. I don't know if you uh, saw the news a few weeks ago about a man in South Africa. Uh, he was visiting friends and family and he, he forgot his wallet. He must not have paid for dinner or something. He forgot his wallet in his car, went out to his car. It was pretty dark. We all know that. Um, and he falls into a manhole. 
Now, that's not ideal, but the manhole was open and he seriously injures himself. That's kind of the imagery we have here, that that's something that we're going to be falling into if we're not praying. And so, well, what is it that we're falling into? And the word here is temptation, temptation. But that's just one translation of this word. We often think of temptation and we think instantly of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness of 40 days where the enemy is kind of saying, well, if you are the Son of God, then make bread, turn these stones into bread, or if you are the Son of God, jump off this building. That temptation, this word is used there. But it's also the word that's used in the Lord's Prayer that Kat just referenced before, lead us not into temptation. But it can also be translated as testing or as trial. That it's a condition or a circumstance that has the capacity of diverting our faith away from God. And we all know what those would be. A diagnosis, a job loss, an issue in our family, an addiction. We all know what those things are. A family member who we would dearly loved, just out of the blue, something happens to them. And so Jesus is saying here, pray that you would not fall into temptation. He's not saying that bad things aren't going to happen. He's saying there's an opportunity here to not let these bad things ruin our faith, to not let these bad things sidetrack our faith. Now, in our January series, we talk through the parable of the sower, and in the parable, this word is used, this word for testing, and he uses it as testing. And he's been describing all these seeds that have been sown, and it's God's word being sown into different people's hearts, and so we've got these people who um, hear the word and everything goes great for them, but we've got these other people who are described here as the seed that is sown among the rocks, that they grow for a little while, everything's great, and then all of a sudden this testing comes and it train wrecks their faith, it shipwrecks their faith. It's the same testing that Jesus is talking about here, that there are things in life that have the potential to sideswipe our faith. And so Jesus is saying, how do we kind of get over that? It's through prayer. And I would argue it's through that consistent rhythm of prayer that Jesus has been modeling throughout his entire life up to this point. And so here we go. Jesus then models it, verse 41. He withdrew, and that's key. Withdrawal is very important to prayer. Jesus would talk about it in the Sermon on the Mount, go into your room, shut the door so no one else can hear you, but that you and God can just have a moment. Withdraw, withdraw. So he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. So no one can hear what he's saying now. Um, And he knelt down and he prayed. Now we all pray differently. Some people put your hands in the air, other people do different things, but Jesus is modeling submission here. He's kneeling. You don't kneel to anyone but the king in this time. So he's kneeling. And he says this, Father, he's talking to God, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now, you might notice some of your prayers in that prayer that Jesus just prayed, namely, take this cup from me. It's the Bart Simpson prayer, let there be a blizzard that I don't have to sit this exam anymore. Just let this diagnosis go away. I know it's teeny tiny on the scans right now, but somehow just let it go, poof, gone, you know? Let this relationship issue just sort itself out. That's our prayer. 
And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing to pray. Jesus adds it in his. But what he does is he frames it with submission and obedience to God's will. Now, it's an interesting prayer to pray if you are willing, because a man with leprosy prays the exact same thing to Jesus way back at the start of Jesus' ministry. A man with leprosy comes up to Jesus and he asks him, you know, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus grabs this man who has leprosy and he says, you know, I'm willing, be clean. And this man's leprosy just goes. And so what Jesus is asking is not like some crazy thing that's never possibly going to happen. We'll talk about what the cup is in a second. But it's interesting that he's being submissive here to God's will. He's saying, you know what, if you are willing, if, I know you're able to, but are you willing to? is the prayer that he's praying. If you are willing, take this thing from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. Now, that is a really difficult prayer to pray when you get a diagnosis, or when there's a job loss, or when life is a mess. But I think it's important that we don't just do a Bart Simpson and pray the pain away. Because often during painful circumstances is when we meet God the most. It's when we realize that life is falling apart, that everything else that we've kind of put our security on is failing, that we start to realize that God is all that we need. And so that's what we see here. Jesus is saying, you know what, if you're willing, take this thing from me, but not what I want, what you want. I trust you. I'm hoping you'll do what I want, but I'm trusting that that whatever you have for me is going to be good. And so, what is this cup? Well, this cup, if you read the Old Testament, is described as the cup of wrath or the cup of suffering. You can read Jeremiah. Uh, In Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet is told to give this cup to all the nations surrounding Israel and tell them to drink this cup of wrath that God is going to wipe them off the face of the planet. Not the nicest cup to drink. Uh, And then Jesus refers to this cup in the Lord's Supper. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. And that sounds great to us because we're new covenant people. Jesus has already risen from the dead. At that particular moment in time, that ain't great for Jesus. The cup hasn't been drunk yet. The new covenant hasn't been paid for yet. And so this cup is is the new covenant in his blood, that his blood has to be spilt in order for this thing to work. And so Jesus is saying, take this cup Remove the possibility of me having to die for these morons and find some other way. That's his prayer. That if you're willing, don't make me do this. And again, we pray that same prayer all the time. If you're willing, don't let us have this situation anymore. If you're willing, don't let this family breakdown happen. We pray it all the time. He's bringing the meaning of his own death to the forefront. And he's saying, you know what, this is really painful, God. I know it's about to happen. If there's any possible way around this, that would be fantastic. But I'm trusting in you that if it isn't the way, that I will drink it. And so he's modeling for us what submissive and obedient prayer is. But again, I want to reiterate, this isn't something that he just made up on the spot. This is something that he's been doing from his first moments. He would often withdraw and pray. He would often go to a solitary place and pray. Not just in the the important moments. He prayed before his 12 disciples. 
He prayed. He taught them how to pray. He prayed during his temptation. He prayed in all his important moments, but he also prayed in the unimportant moments that every evening he'd just go out and pray, you know? So he's, been, he's got this rhythm going of faith. And he's got a conversational relationship with God going that allows him in this most painful moment of his life to continue to trust that whatever God has planned is best for him. And so he's modelling it to his disciples. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, we read, which if I was Jesus, I'd be like, fantastic. Because he suddenly realises this ain't going away. God's not kind of flicked the switch and taken the bad thing away. God just sent an angel to go, there, there, you'll be fine, you know? And so this angel comes and, and Jesus, I think, realises that because you read in the next verse, and being in anguish. Some of us have been there before, that, that, just that pain that just doesn't go away. Being in complete anguish, he prayed more earnestly and that's true of our lives. When everything's falling apart, we tend to pray more because we don't know what else to do. He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, no one really knows if this is a metaphor, or this is a medical condition or anything. People have different theories. But I, I personally think, and I take it as just an image of like an athlete working really hard at something. And so the way I see it is Jesus is just praying ridiculously hard, and it's just, it's just telling on his body, that he's not just in, the, in his head, that it's just all of him in this. But however you read that, it doesn't matter. And so he's finished his prayer and verse 45 says this, when he rose from prayer and went back to his disciples, he found them asleep. Which if you are Jesus, you're just like, I'm about to take this cup for these idiots, I'm about to die for these morons and here they are sleeping. And I, I don't know the tone, we can't read the tone in Greek, uh, which is the original translation, but put your own tone to whatever he says here. Why are you sleeping? He could be really nice about it or not. He asked them, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So he says the same thing he said before, get up and pray so you will not fall into temptation. Or get up and pray so that when life hits, that you have a way of remaining firm in the midst of the storm. And so it continues, verse 47. Jesus is arrested now. And while he was still speaking, a crowd came up and a man who was called Judas, and if you think about this, this is one of your main guys as you're suddenly about to betray you. One of the guys you've spent your entire, well, the last three years of your life with eating, drinking, walking around, with doing everything with, this guy is about to betray you. Judas comes up, one of the 12, and he was leading the people who were about to arrest Jesus. This is your, one of your best mates completely ditching you. And he approached Jesus to kiss him, as if that's a nice thing to do. But Jesus asked him a question. Judas, are you betraying me with a kiss? And when Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? Gets all medieval. And before Jesus can answer, one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. So they've clearly failed this whole, when circumstances get bad, don't follow into the temptation of cutting off people's ears. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders, this is the religious elite of the time, 
the professional goody two-shoes, are coming here to arrest this guy. And he says this to them, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs every day? And he's, he's, he's reminding them of what he did every day. Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. And I think that last statement is very telling, that when we come to the cross, we're heading towards it now. Yes, we're post-cross, post-resurrection people, but it's important to get the idea that as Jesus was heading to the cross, it wasn't getting lighter in the world, it was getting a lot darker. And we're going to see that on our Good Friday service, because we're going to do it in the evening. We're going to get a sense of that. But things are getting darker, things are getting pretty grim, things are kind of not panning out as the world would like it to be. It's darkness's hour at this point. And so I reiterate what Jesus said. He says, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Get up and pray so you will not fall into temptation. I don't know what's going on with many of your lives right now. I do know what's going on with some of them. And some of them have mess. If we can put it bluntly, some of them have really difficult situations going on right now. And I would strongly encourage you, uh, if you are not in one of those situations right now, to start building a conversational relationship with God. So that when you do, and it will happen, Jesus promises, in this world you will have trouble. But he follows it with, take heart, I have overcome the world. That you would be building a conversational relationship with Jesus in this moment. But if you are going through the difficult circumstances right now, you can remember Jesus' prayer, which is this, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. I don't think there's any problem praying for the diagnosis to go away. I don't think there's any problem praying for the family to actually get back together again. But I do think we need to not ignore the fact that sometimes things hurt. And we need to lean into that instead of pushing it away. We need to lean into the fact and pray something like this to God. God, this is a mess. I have no idea what's going on here, but you've been trustworthy before, and so I'm going to choose to trust you now. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. If you can take it away, fantastic. But if you can't, I want to lean in to that. And so in a second, I'm just going to pray, and if you are going through a difficult circumstance, I'd encourage you to pray uh, along with what I'm going to pray. You don't have to pray it out loud, um, but we're just going to pray. Father, there is no doubt that life hurts sometimes. And your son <laughs> experienced that on our behalf. Father, that he did take the cup of suffering and drink the whole thing for us. And as we look towards Easter, we need to stop and remember that. That while we have so much to celebrate with your resurrection of your son, that we need to remember that Jesus went through pain and that you willed that that would happen. That there might be life and forgiveness afterwards. 
For those who are in a difficult spot, I just encourage you to pray something along this with me. Father, if you're willing, take this circumstance, crisis, relationship, breakdown, whatever it is from me. Yeah, not my will, not what I want, Lord, but what you want. Not my will, but yours. Be done. And Father, for the rest of us here who aren't going through trial yet, we understand the world enough that life is going to hurt at some point, and so I pray that you would help us to develop a conversational relationship with you so that when these troubles and trials and difficulties do come, that we don't shy away from them, that we don't say, who is God, but that we can lean into a God who we know is trustworthy and faithful through all things. We love you and we trust you. I pray you use this time now. In Jesus' name, amen. If today's message evoked anything in you and you'd like to talk or pray with one of our pastors, please get in touch by phone or email. All of our details can be found at albertpark.org.au. We worship together in person 10am every Sunday at 115 Kerford Road, Albert Park. All are welcome. We look forward to seeing you soon.